Let's pray together once again. Father, we do thank You for Your Word. God, we thank You that no matter where we are, we can make our own altar to You. We can bow before You, even beside our beds, even at our couches, Lord, wherever we are. Lord, You invite us to come into Your presence, to humble ourselves and come before You. Thank You, Lord, for the assurance that we have a great High Priest. Jesus, that You are hearing these prayers right now, that the Spirit is interpreting these to You. You are interceding on our behalf to the Father. The Father, You are hearing and answering that all of that is happening simultaneously within the perfection of our one singular yet triune God. Father, that miracle is is too much for me to understand, but Lord, I know that you make access for us. And I can rest assured that you make access for all of your children. So Lord, thank you. God, we turn our attention now to your word. To the truth that is found in your word. And God, just like every week, I know that as I stand before the folks in this auditorium, know as I stand before these people watching at home or wherever they may be, God, I am unworthy and I am unable. So, Father, in spite of my foolishness, in spite of my limited understanding, God, would you expound your word? Would you speak to all of us this morning that we may hear from heaven and that our lives may be transformed, that we may be conformed to your image? God, we pray that as Your Word is read and preached and proclaimed, that You would add Your blessing to Your Word. Father, that You would convict us, that You would challenge us, but also, Lord, that You would encourage us and comfort us. Father, we pray these things in earnest. We pray them as humbly as we know how. Lord, we ask all these things in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope that you do, I invite you to take your own copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Matthew. We are going to be wrapping up our sermon series in Matthew this morning. So, we will be in Matthew chapter 22 this morning. Matthew chapter 22, and we'll be beginning in verse 23 and reading through the end of the chapter. So, we will conclude our time together in Matthew. We'll begin a new sermon series next week. If you were just thinking before I came up here, man, that worship time seemed just a little too short for me. Man, I really wish we had a few more songs to sing. I want you to hang in there, okay? Stick around for after the preaching because like last Sunday, we will get back together right after the sermon. We will sing together again. We will worship together again. So, Even if you can't put up with the preaching, hang in there. There's more singing coming, all right? But if you have your Bible and you've turned to that page or scrolled to it in your tablet or looked at it on your phone, you could also, if you can see the screen behind me there or behind me there, you can follow along on the screens. But I encourage wherever you are and however you're accessing the Word of the Lord, if you are physically able, would you please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's Holy Word. I'll read verses 23 through 46. When I have completed, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage 
you to respond wherever you are with thanks be to God, to express our thankfulness for just the fact that we have this word. Let's look together now at Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 23. The word of the Lord says, The same day Sadducees came to him, who say there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So too, the second and third, down to the seventh. After them all, after them all the woman died also. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven... Whose wife will she be? For they all had her. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong. Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, well, the son of David. And he said to them, well, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we come to this wonderful passage this morning, do not forget where we have been. Do not forget that just last week, Jesus stumped and confounded and baffled and perplexed all of the Pharisees, the scribes, the elders, the teachers, the chief priests, and that has been happening Over and over and over again. And so what we see is this pattern, especially here in the last week of Jesus' life. I know that we celebrated Easter Sunday last week. But keep in mind that where we are in Matthew 22, this is still during the time of the week that leads up to his crucifixion. And so Specifically during this time, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the elders, the chief priests, they all gather together and double down to try and trip Jesus up. And this is the last story that we get about this in the Gospel of Matthew. 
because they're going to give up, as we saw in the end of the passage. They get such a retort from Jesus that they realize there's just no reason to ask him any more questions. This is part of the reason we pointed out last week the shock that the disciples must have been going through. Every single time the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not get the upper hand over Jesus. Jesus always had a perfect comeback. He always had the right thing to say. And so what happens in the crucifixion is that even through all of these trials, the man who had an answer for everything keeps his mouth shut. But we see in this chapter, this was the chapter that he finally shut the mouths of all of the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all these different leading groups. So we pick up kind of in the middle of a story here. Uh, Just before this, Jesus has told a parable about a wedding banquet where a man ends up inviting all of the so-called riffraff to the wedding banquet, and then he throws one person, even though everybody was provided with a wedding garment, this one person does not wear a wedding garment. And so he has that one person thrown out. And so the Pharisees and Sadducees have gathered that all these various parables that Jesus has been telling are all geared towards them. And so now they go on the offensive once again. And they ask Jesus whether or not they should pay taxes. And so Jesus says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's. So after that pithy response, Jesus enters into this discourse. And we're told specifically in verse 23 that the Sadducees are going to begin this line of questioning. And then we're told in a side note, the Sadducees who believe there is no resurrection of the dead. So you have to take into account that the Sadducees are not just like a political party that we have today. It's not just like Republicans or Democrats and Pharisees and Sadducees are that exactly. Because in this time, even though they're under Roman authority, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, there's a Sanhedrin that is the religious leadership of Israel. That if Pilate and the governors and the leaders of the provinces and the leaders over the territories want for there to be peace, you better be in line with what the majority of the Pharisees and Sadducees say, with what the Sanhedrin says. There's a delicate balance going on in this time in Jerusalem and in all of the territory of Israel. And so the Sadducees are not just Republicans or Democrats. The Pharisees are not just Republican or Democrats. I know that today we have trends where Based on what you believe and what denomination you are, they can kind of track and say, well, you are probably a part of this political party or that political party. You probably lean this way in your voting or you lean that way in your voting. But that's not a perfect analogy because the Sanhedrin is made up of these Pharisees and Sadducees who not only have political differences, but deep-seated theological differences. And you're not going to find people who are Sadducees who believe in the resurrection of the dead. You might find Southern Baptists who are both Republicans and Democrats. You might find Episcopalians who are either Republicans or Democrats. Even though there are trends, it's not locked in. Pharisees, they are locked in to their beliefs. Sadducees, they are locked in to their beliefs. Do you you remember the old game show? I think it still comes on. They're trying to do some sort of revival with it. Who wants to be a millionaire? Is that your final answer? 
That is the point. If you want to be a Sadducee, do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? Your answer is no. Then is that your final answer? It's locked in. There's no changing it. Now you're part of the Sadducees. If you change your mind about the resurrection of the dead, they kick you out. They believed that way because they only looked at the first five books of the Bible. Even though there are plenty of other prophetic writings that are recognized as Scripture at this particular time in history when Jesus is talking to these Sadducees, the Sadducees only recognized the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and so they had no place for anything that the prophets said. They didn't really take into account First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. They didn't take Malachi and all these other prophets. Those were good writings. But all of our source about God, all of our information about God is only going to come from the first five books of the Bible. So for the Sadducees to come up to Jesus and ask him a question about the resurrection of the dead, it would be as though I did not believe that there is a Sasquatch. All right. It's as though I don't believe that Bigfoot exists and you, whoever you may be, you do. And so I walk up to you and I say, Well, since we all know that obviously Bigfoot's real. I mean, he's out there. Let's just admit, Bigfoot's real, right? So, what color is his hair? How long is it? What kind of teeth does he have? Does he have flat teeth to chew grass? Is he a meat eater? Does he have fangs? What's he look like? How humanoid is he? When we call him Bigfoot, how big is his foot? But the whole thing is a satire. The whole thing is a parody. I'm making a joke against you, right? Because I don't believe in Sasquatch, and you do, and I think it's ridiculous that you do. Now, for the purposes of this sermon, we all know the Sasquatch is out there somewhere, right? We all, we all know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Bad joke. Sorry. But the Sadducees treat Jesus like this. Well, you know, we all believe in this resurrection of the dead stuff. So, since there is this resurrection of the dead, Jesus, you tell me. Here's the situation. And they begin to describe what's known as Leverite law marriage, okay? That means that if my brother dies and he doesn't have any children, then it is my job, according to Old Testament law, to marry his wife and have children that will not be accounted to me, they will be accounted to my brother. And it is my job to fulfill that duty. And what's funny is that these guys are bringing in this situation where this man is married with no children, he dies. And now there are seven brothers who then marry this same woman. This situation is actually not all that hypothetical because even in the history, the family lineage of Jesus, we find a woman named Tamar. And Tamar goes through this kind of experience. The whole reason that she gives birth and has children is because she is denied this right. Go into the book of Genesis and and look this up. This is a good story, all right? It's somewhere around Genesis 38. This is about all that I can get into, okay? This is not the chapter to read with your young children, okay? If people tell you all you got to do is read the Bible, it's safe, there's nothing risque in there, then they hadn't read the Bible. They definitely hadn't read the story of Judah and Tamar in the book of Genesis. So that's what happens to Tamar. She gets married. She has no children. Her husband dies. Then Judah gives her her, his next son. He dies. Then Judah's supposed to give him the next son, and you can find out the rest from there. So this situation that the Sadducees paint for Jesus is not all that foreign. It's not all that removed, and they would have remembered it and known it from Judah and Tamar in the book of Genesis. But they take it to an exponential type of 
um, exaggeration. So they say there's seven brothers. And the, the important part is not whether they have children. The important part is this resurrection thing that you believe is true, that you tell us is going to happen. Yeah, who's going to be the husband? You got seven men here who have all laid with this woman and known her in the biblical sense, the way Adam knew Eve, the way Jake told us that he did not know Wesley Pierce, the same way that he knows Brittany Wimberly. So seven men have known this woman, all right? So of these seven men, which one gets to be the husband in the resurrection? And I just love Jesus' response. Look with me right there what Jesus says back to them. In verse 29, Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't say anything like, let me cushion the blow. But Jesus answered them, you are wrong. <laughs> I just like, have you ever just gone to somebody and said, all right, here's this idea I've got. Okay, this is, this is how it's going to work. We're going to build it this way. And they look at you and go, nah. You're wrong. Listen, maybe that's not your experience, but it happens to me a lot in life. And it's just that deadpan, no, you're wrong. And I just imagine Jesus having that response. These Sadducees go through this whole elaborate, oh, we're going to catch him. We're going to trap him. What's his answer going to be? And Jesus doesn't even dignify them with a full response. He goes, no, nah, you're wrong. About, uh, like what, what part, Jesus? Like, um, what do you mean we're wrong? You're just wrong. The whole thing. You're just wrong. Let me tell you why you're wrong. It's not just that you're wrong. You're wrong because you neither know the Scriptures nor the power of God. So let me tell you how ignorant and stupid you Sadducees are. Jesus just lays it out there plain. Just speaks straight forward to them. You're wrong. You don't know the law that you think you know so well. Nor do you know or understand the power of God. Guys, that was their whole life. This is like going up to a mechanical engineer and telling them, you don't know how machines work. This is like going up to a lawyer and saying, you don't know the law. This is like going up to a chef and saying, your food is awful. He told the Sadducees, even though all they look at is the law, the first five books of the Bible, he says, you're wrong because you don't know the law. And then he gives us an insight into the resurrection that it's, it's very rare in Scripture that we really get a picture of what things will be like. We get very few descriptions of what heaven will be like, of what it will be like when we are with God for all eternity. Jesus reaffirms immediately, yes, there is a resurrection. And he says, as for the resurrection of the dead, he says, have you not read what God said? He didn't say, I was the God of Abraham, and I was the God of Isaac. He didn't say, I was the God of Jacob. He uses the present tense, even after these men have died. So when God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it means that God still is the God of those people, and those people are still with Him. So there is a resurrection because they continue on in existence. And in that existence, whatever it is, Jesus says that there is no giving in marriage and people are not given in marriage. That there's no need for us to be married to one another. And now this is very encouraging on some levels. We will be like the angels. But you know, I know some people who very much love their spouses. I mean, I consider my wife to be my best friend in all the world. 
There is nobody who is a better friend to me than my wife. So it's not just that I love her as my spouse, but she's my very best friend. She's, she's the one that I lean on, the one that I trust in, and it kind of breaks my heart to think about when we get to heaven, we're going to be like the angels, so I, I won't be married to her anymore. Well, what does that mean? I, I just I love this person so much, and some people can take that and see it as discouraging, but I don't want you to be discouraged. Because this passage is, is not discouraging. We will be like the angels in the sense that there's no need for marriage anymore. But remember the sermon just a couple weeks back where we talked about the transfiguration. Where Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and Elijah and Moses show up. And Peter, he's never seen their picture before. We mentioned this. He doesn't have a social media page. But Peter knew exactly who Elijah was and exactly who Moses was. There was a knowledge of who these men were in their glorified states of still being alive in a resurrected form with God showing up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And they were known even to Peter, even to John. So we can rest assured that when we get to heaven, we won't be given or given in marriage, there will be no need for marriage. We'll be like the angels, but at the same time, we're going to know one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us that in that time, that we will know fully, just as we are fully known. So our perspective and our understanding of the world right now is that we see through a mirror in like a dimly lit room. And you and I know that if you wake up in the middle of the night and your room is dimly lit and you have a mirror, you may think that there's an intruder in your house, but it's just you. The ugly person in the mirror that you think is an intruder turns out to just be you without any of your makeup on or, or you without any of your, your nice clothes on. You're just there in your, in your PJs in the mirror and you thought it was a person, but you couldn't tell because you were looking through a mirror in a dimly lit room. That's the contrast in 1 Corinthians 13. We look through a dimly lit room in a mirror. We know partially, but then we will know fully, just as we are fully known. So listen, there's, there's going to be a special knowledge, a special relationship that is shared between those that we know here on earth, and then when the resurrection comes, we will know one another. Even our spouses, we will know each other fully just as we are fully known by one another. It's a beautiful picture that Jesus paints. But notice that he he uses a particular word for comparison. But we will be like the angels in heaven. Folks, when we talk about resurrection, there are a lot of people who mean really well. And they say very nice things especially at funerals. They're seeking and trying to offer comfort. They're trying to offer words of affirmation. But I I think that what we fall victim to is with the best of intentions, we offer terrible theology that's not backed up in Scripture in an effort to comfort one another, even though it's not true or accurate. Maybe you've heard this before. Well, he's one of the angels now. He's up there flying with Gabriel. He's just doing what all he wanted to do. Well, she's just, she's one of them angels. She's got her wings now. 
hey, that bell rang, I bet Clarence is up there and he got his wings. We've all been watching It's a Wonderful Life. We've been watching old Jimmy Stewart and Clarence was alive and then he died and then he had to earn the right to become an angel. That's just a movie. That's not real. People don't become angels. But in the resurrection, we will be like the angels, but we're not going to be the angels. There's other places in First and Second Corinthians and some of the places in Jude that tell us that we will actually be ruling over angels. It's an interesting passage, but we will not be the angels. Don't get that confused. There is great hope to offer people from Scripture, but make sure that the hope that we're offering is the hope that Scripture gives us. Don't give them empty platitudes. Don't give them cliche, trite sayings that mean nothing, that are empty. I'm going to go so far as to say don't tell people who are mourning and who are grieving things that you don't know to be true. Unless you know that it is in the book, don't offer it. Unless you believe that this book is right, don't offer it. Withhold and just be there. You don't have to say something. Man, that's a huge lesson in my life. I think just because we're there, i, I got to say something. Awkward silence kills me. I'm the guy in the elevator that when you walk in, I go, Hey, what's up? Having a good day? Good. And that's I've got to say at least that much. I have to acknowledge your presence, and you've got to acknowledge mine. Now, I'm not going to ask you what your favorite food is, what's your favorite color, how's your day going, what's your family like, where do you live, what's your furniture look like from outside. Um, I'm not that stalker weird dude, okay? But I am going to talk to you in the elevator, all right? I'm, I'm the guy that the, the, the silence just ah, gets me. But you don't have to say anything. I don't have to say anything. When we're there, when we're in that moment, just just be there. Offer the hope that there is resurrection found in Jesus. And you know, sometimes I think we offer these trite, cliche phrases because we don't believe that this is real. Sometimes I think that we like to say that we believe that the resurrection is real. But I think you and I oftentimes could be very easily convicted of being Sadducees in our day-to-day life of believing that the Bible is true, but not really believing in the resurrection of the dead. You see, we celebrated last Sunday because it was Easter Sunday, and Easter is even a loaded term. There's so much history and baggage that goes with that word. I like Resurrection Sunday because we celebrate on that Easter Sunday, on that Resurrection Sunday, that there is a resurrection that Jesus did come back from the dead. And because He lives, we know that we will live. Because He was resurrected, we know that we will be resurrected. And sometimes, I feel like as a Christian, myself and us as church members and family members here at Bethany, we live like there is no resurrection. But Jesus was raised from the dead. And the Bible tells us that that's the first fruits That we are the rest of the harvest. We will be resurrected if we are found in Him. But I just want to know, guys, this is not some super deep theological nuance to the Scripture. This is just straightforward. Are you, am I, living like the resurrection is real? You know, this this coronavirus, man, it's, it's been kind of crazy. And I've talked to so many people on the phone, and I've really lost track 
of the number of people that I have talked to on the phone that the conversation goes something like this. Yeah, Pastor, I tell you what, the Lord's just getting our attention right here. He's using this, he's using this virus to get our attention. Or maybe it goes something to the effect of, man, God's doing something. Preacher, God's doing something. I just believe God's working through this. I believe God's up to something. I believe He's trying to snap us out of it. I believe He's trying to wake us up. I've had that conversation more times than I can count. But even that conversation has become trite and cliche already. We're already falling into a monotony of, well, we'll tune in on Sunday and, and then we'll just go about the rest of the week like ain't nothing wrong. People were showing up in droves for some of the early parking lot services that we were having. And now it's, it's just 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 cars. People have gotten used to the stay-at-home orders. And people have gone about and said, all right, now we've adjusted. All right, Lord got us our attention. So now let's just get back to normal. When y'all going to open up the country again? When you going to open up these states again? we got task force. we got committees. Folks, if God's using this to wake us up, are we still sleeping? Are you awake yet? Has God woken you up that this is not a fairy tale? Has God wakened me to realize I've got to live like this is true? There is resurrection. There is hope. And we, we can't even, we can't even fall back on the excuse of, listen, I, I am living like there's a resurrection preacher. I've been inviting people to church. I'm not, I'm not bold. I'm not brave, okay? Preacher, I'm not the one that's going to go out there and, and walk them through the Romans road. I'm not going to follow that evangelism training that Jason taught us and made it so easy. It's only in one word as an acronym, LIFE, L-I-F-E. I can't do all that. I, 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 I didn't share my story with them. I, I mean, I didn't tell them how God's changed my life, how God's raised me from the dead, how God has made me a new person on the inside. But, but you know, I did invite them to come to church. I did. Well, guess what? With the coronavirus, you can't do that. I can't do that. It's not on us to just say, hey, come on down to the church house. We got, we got such a great minister of music and he's, he's the leading and playing that guitar and boy, we sing about Jesus. Oh, it's good. We got us a preacher and he'll yell at you for 30 minutes and then you leave and you know you've done your duty and you just wait till the next week. Come on down to the church house. You can't come on down to the church house. It's now on us at home. And if you and I think that we're going to stand before the Lord one day and I'm going to look at my Jesus and I'm going to say, I, I didn't share my story. I, I didn't live like the resurrection was, was real. I knew that this was going to happen, but I just didn't, I didn't live like it. Oh, but Jesus, Jesus, I emailed them the link to our Facebook page. Oh, you, I shared the YouTube video. Jesus, I, I sent them an email that looked like a standard email chain that they get from 50 million people that they delete immediately as soon as they see it show up in their inbox. They don't even read the starting line. And I emailed all my lost friends our church Facebook video link. And then they, they had the opportunity to, to tune in. Do we think that if we show up before Jesus and say that, He's going to go, Oh, man, that right there... That's living for me. That right there, well done. David Barnes, well done, my brother. Well done, my son. Come on into my rest. You shared the Facebook link. Woo! Praise the Lord. This is good. 
you clicked a few buttons and you shared the link. I'm so proud. That's living like I'm alive and like there's a resurrection coming. That's living like you believe. Well done. Folks, I just, I, I can't see that happening. It's not about just saying, come on to church. It's not about just inviting people with a little clickable link. It's not about just tuning in on a Sunday and showing up on a Wednesday. It's about God making the appeal that the resurrection is real through you and me. We're told in 2 Corinthians that we are His ambassadors. That He has sent us into this world as His representatives to tell people our story. To tell people that He is the way and the truth and the life. And that no man comes to the Father except through Christ the Son. And there is a resurrection. And we have to believe and share that. Because it says right after those verses about being an ambassador. It says that God has entrusted the message to us. He entrusted the message to you. He entrusted the message to me. And He's making His appeal to the world through us. That means that if we believe the resurrection, our Zoom meetings that we've been having lately will look a lot different. It means that our group FaceTime calls will look a lot different. It means that our social distance conversations with our neighbors will look different. It means that we will make the appeal for Christ. Because we're the representatives And then look at how this continues. I just love this passage because it ties in so perfectly. If we believe there is a resurrection, then we must do the two commandments. If we believe that we can be resurrected, if we believe that Jesus lived and died and was raised again, look with me in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Well, Sadducees can't do it. We got it. So they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, look, no, no slights against lawyers. Walt, I love you, brother. Corey Bryan, I love you. I'm, it's, the Bible says it was a lawyer. I'm not saying anything against you guys whatsoever. Lawyers can be good and serve a good purpose, okay? I love you guys. It's not condemning y'all. It just happens to be a lawyer. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And listen, there were all sorts of different camps of how they believed and interpreted the law, but Jesus This is the most perfect response that covers all of their responses. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. How do you do that? How do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind? Part of doing that, part of the outworking of that is loving your neighbor as yourself. Everything in the law summed up in two things. You love God with everything you have, with everything you are. And you love everybody else as much as you love yourself. Just that simple. Just that simple to say. Extremely difficult to live out. But if we love our neighbors, we're going to tell them this message that there is a resurrection. How better to love our neighbors than to tell them there is hope. And it's not some wild, crazy fantasy. Folks, We believe in the resurrection of the dead. We have no right to make fun of anybody else's religious beliefs because we believe in life after death. 
And if we believe it, the best way to love our neighbor is to say, listen, don't throw me in a padded room. Don't lock me away in an asylum. But I promise you that at the end of this life, we will all stand before our Savior and our Maker, and He will judge us. And those who do not believe will be thrown into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. But for those who do believe, there is hope and there is life and there is resurrection. And I know that that sounds crazy. And I know that you you think I ought to be in a loony bin right now. But if I didn't love you, I'd keep this message to myself. And folks, who are we telling? I mean, even our story, our testimony. You, You can't deny my testimony. That's how God's worked in my heart. We don't even have to argue over the Bible itself. Let me just tell you what God's done in my heart. Let me just tell you how over and over and over and over again He's proven Himself to be faithful and true and steadfast and merciful and kind and benevolent and provided for every need that I came across. Let me tell you about my God. And you can say, I don't believe there's a God. Well, you can you cannot believe, but I'm going to tell you He's real because I've experienced it. There's no reason for us not to share that. There's no reason for us not to love our neighbor in this way. There's no reason for us not to utilize everything we have in loving the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all of our strength, with all of our intellect, with all of our voice, with all of our our hands with all of everything that we have and everything that we are to honor Him and point all the glory back to Him and to turn to our neighbor and say, that's the only way. That's the only way. Folks, this coronavirus is a wake-up call for us to step it up. For us to stop being lazy and for us to tell our friends, our family, our co-workers, our loved ones, God's trying to get our attention. And if we want to say that as a cliche and a phone call all the time, that's fine. But maybe it's time we start telling other folks, listen, I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but He's doing something right now. He's trying to get our attention somehow right now. And you need to know there is only one way. And it is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It is through Him taking our punishment on the cross we deserved. And then, what's better yet, is He didn't stay dead. But God raised Him up on the third day. And because God raised up the Son, we know God will raise us up in the final day. Folks, who are we telling? Are we using this coronavirus as an added excuse to sound religious and tell people, well, yes, Lord is doing something. He is, he is working, working powerfully. It's, yes, there's something, of course. But then to sit at home lazily, not teaching our family, not discipling our children, not discipling our grandchildren. You know, we found ways for the gospel to continue In every other time in history, even during the Black Plague, even during the Spanish Flu. And now we've found ways for our meetings to continue. We've found ways for our work to be classified as essential instead of non-essential. We've found ways to take care of patients and build more ventilators. But are we using those same ways 
to share the gospel. Because time could be short. Nobody knows the day or the hour except for the Father himself. I'm not standing up here telling you he's coming back tomorrow. I'm telling you he's coming back soon. And he chose us who believe, who call ourselves Christians, to make the appeal to the rest of the world, to carry the message. Go to 2 Corinthians, read it. He entrusted the message to you and to me. So, folks, I, I, want, I want to leave you this morning with something very easy and very tangible. Wherever you are, if you're alone and by yourself, you text or call somebody that you know who will hold you accountable. If you're at home and you're with your husband or wife or you're with a friend, you look at that person and you say, here's who I'm going to share with this week. Your response, my response to the gospel message should be, Here's who I'm going to share my story with. Here's who I'm going to share the story of Scripture with. Here's who I'm going to tell that I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Here's who I'm going to tell that they can be resurrected also. Your response this morning is the same response that I have. To beg God's forgiveness that we have not shared as we should. But then to take the positive step, who will you tell? The big emphasis right now in the Southern Baptist Convention is an emphasis known as who is your one? Who's your one? Pick one person and pray for that person. Share with that person. Arrange meetings with that person. Devote time to that person and that relationship. Not to just share the gospel with them and say, um, okay, uh, uh, Jesus, um, uh, God's son, and he came, he died, uh, raised, you know, like alive. And, and believe. Not to do that and walk away, but to build a relationship and spend time and pray with and see and seek for your one to come to know Jesus. So, it's going all across the Southern Baptist Convention. How about in our homes? Pick one. Pick one. Let's stop living like Sadducees. Let's believe there's a resurrection of the dead. Let's love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's love our neighbors as we love ourselves by telling them there's hope. There is resurrection. But it's only found in Jesus. So who will you tell? This is your takeaway. This is what you pray about. I'm going to pray in a moment, but while I'm praying, you pray. Ask God to put one on your heart. And focus, zero in on that one. During this coronavirus and even afterwards, share the gospel. There's good news. There's hope on the other side of coronavirus. Whether that other side of coronavirus is life or death, there is hope. And We must be compelled to share with others. So who will you share with? Who will I share with? And I promise you, as a church staff, we will never ask you to do something we're not willing to do. Next week, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about that we shared and who are one that we shared with, how that went. Because we're going to do this. Because it applies to me. Because it applies to you. Who's going to be your one? I can't say that I'm going to come back and name their name or anything like that because, well, we're on the Internet and anybody could watch and probably wouldn't go so well for somebody to know that you're their one. They're your one. But pray for them. Share with them. 
Ask God to put them on your heart. Write their name down. Pray for them every morning. Live like we believe in the resurrection. Take time right now. I'm going to pray and you pray. Ask God to put somebody on your heart. Listen, maybe you're hearing this. And for the first time, it's starting to make sense that we're not as crazy as it seems. Maybe there, there really is this resurrection. If you're that one watching, please trust in Jesus. He is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only life. No one goes to that resurrection, to that paradise, to that bliss, unless they go through Jesus. Let's pray. God, we love you. Father, we need you. Lord, you have given us a task that is monumental in every way. Father, but you've also given us everything we need to complete this task. And God, I know that as I stand before our church, Father, I don't share as I ought. Father, I'm just as guilty of living like a Sadducee. Please, Lord, place on our hearts right now our one. Lord, move us and motivate us to share with our one. To love our neighbor enough to tell them that you're all there is in life. Nothing else matters. God, help us to share the good news that death isn't isn't the end. It's actually a gain for anyone found in Christ. To die is gain, as Paul would say. Lord, help us to tell people how death can be a gain for them. How through you, death can lead to a resurrection. Help us, Father, to be your ambassadors and to carry your message. Right now, Lord, would you place on our hearts one to share with. We ask this, Lord, in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.